0: Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, NorthLiberty.cc and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message.
1: We are in Acts chapter three. If you have your Bibles with you or your apps, whatever, go ahead and turn there to Acts chapter three. Just a few weeks ago, we had our annual Night to Shine or what we call a night to remember for our special needs community. Uh, it, was a, it was a blast, and we had the, the, the privilege to be able to serve this community. Uh, and these are kids, young adults, and even older individuals who will always be looked down on, overlooked, or minimized uh, in the world, and sometimes even within the body of Christ. And it's a sad commentary on the heart of mankind. Uh, it's done out of ignorance, a fear of the unknown, a fear of anything different, lack of empathy and compassion. Uh, we're going to be showing a 60-second clip here in just a moment out of a three-hour event and I just want to just to give you a little taste of what that night was all about so if you didn't get to enjoy it this year you can sign up for next year so let's uh let's watch again I just want to remind you guys next year sign up it's just a wonderful blessing Uh, we're there to serve them but in the end you are greatly enriched and blessed because of that experience you know, one of the things that Miss Terry and I have had a struggle with for many years um, as our daughter Jen was growing up would be to hear parents complain about their healthy, active kids who may have broken an arm or a finger or a toe, running around, climbing a tree or playing sports, or they just, uh, you know, were overwhelmed that one of their kids had a, 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 had a bad cold or a bad haircut day or didn't get straight A's for that semester. And from this side of parenting uh, with a special needs child, it didn't seem all that uh, fair to hear them complain about such minor cuts and bruises, okay? Now that's our perspective on this side of the fence. But for someone with an actual physical disability, I mean, do you know how difficult it is for them uh, to transfer from one chair to another? to transfer into a car, uh, to to get in and out of a bathroom, or even have the facilities uh, opportunities to use uh, uh, public bathrooms. Uh, The amount of time that they need to get dressed and to, to eat a meal takes a lot more time than you can ever imagine. The difficulty for someone in a wheelchair to get to their table at a restaurant, knowing that you got to go through a maze of people, and when you ask them to, oh, "Excuse me, excuse me, can you, can you?" and they get upset because they got to suck in their gut to get a little closer to the table so the wheelchair can get around them or, or the many sightseeing places you go to visit on vacations but your special needs family member has to sit outside because those facilities don't have room big enough for wheelchairs or the the, the, the small circle of friends that they grow up with eventually even gets smaller because the, their life gets bigger uh, the li- their life gets bigger again for the kids that are normal And and again, the friendship circles get smaller and smaller. And imagine the complications disabled people uh, have uh, have to experience in America, and then compare that to the first century church. There were no wheelchairs, no handicapped facilities, no aid from the government, no brawn mobility vehicles. No one would ever think twice about hiring you for a job. You are completely dependent on everyone. If your parents allowed you to live. On in Acts chapter 3, it gives us a look at one day in the life of this particular man who was crippled from birth. His day begins like any other day. His family and friends, if he has any, uh, get him dressed and they carry him to the temple gate there in Jerusalem, so he can beg for money to hopefully get enough money to feed him that particular day, or maybe buy his only meal for the week. But here he is again, wondering why his legs don't work like everybody else's, uh, sitting at the same usual place. And you would, you would have to assume that, right? Uh, because that, we're creatures of habit. We all do the same thing. You come in here and you sit at the same spot every week. I see where you sit. And if you move, if you happen to move, you've messed me up because I don't think you're there when you're sitting over here. Okay? So stop doing that. Um, but, but maybe, just maybe... Maybe he's hoping somebody will notice. But there he is, sitting all alone. Sitting all alone. And and it just makes it hard for a person who experiences that in life to want to continue on. But the interesting thing is, when we see somebody sitting there, we usually try to avoid them. Because we don't want to make that eye contact, right? In Acts chapter 3, verse 2, it says he was crippled from birth. He's never been able to stand, never been able to walk on his own. Uh, He, he, you stand in front of that, you know, full view mirror and flexes, you know, his calf muscles like most guys do every morning, or, or, well, at least some of us. (laughs) And, And, or maybe even wiggle his toe. You know, he doesn't get to experience those things. Growing up, he sits you know, in his bedroom window staring out at all the other kids playing outside, running around and laughing together, and he sees that cute little girl that he's never gonna hold hands with, he's never gonna be able to talk to, he's not gonna be able to take, to take her to the Rosh Hashanah, none of that stuff he's gonna experience, and he, he, he stares all day out his window, or maybe he falls asleep at night, and he's thinking to himself, he probably even dreams the day that he's able to walk and to run and dance. And I believe this guy did, Because my daughter, Jennifer, still goes through those emotional processes. She has mentioned time and time again how she wishes and how she prays day after day that she could do what other people do, but she can't. And I have cried for my daughter on many occasions as she would stare out uh, out from the patio out and watch her friends and her cousins playing in the backyard, wishing that she could be out there with them. And I kind of get, you know, a little upset about it. I mean, she has so desired to be able to do and keep up with her friends, everybody else, but like always, she's always left behind. And in those moments, just for a split second, I get angry. Not at her, not at myself, not at the wheelchair, but many times with God. Because why would he allow her to continue on in life without healing her? And I didn't like that. In Acts chapter four, it says that he was forty about forty years old. And so I think it's safe to say that this man was a main fixture at this temple gate all those years year after year he's sitting there and he's seeing the same looks of disdain and pity and shame and he's just tired of his life and no 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 compassion from other people he's got his head down in this particular setting not wanting to look up anymore because he's just tired of all the looks that he's gotten and and we know that because Peter walks by in chapter 3 verse 4 and he says look at us Now, you need to understand that this man was not allowed inside the the, the temple because a crippled person in those days were thought to be less than and not fit to be in the presence of God. This, I'm sure, made him even feel more worthless, and not just as a human, but a spiritual reject. Every day, these religious people walk by him. They won't take notice of him. They were their self-righteous attitudes like those that, like, like those looks that you know we husbands get when we do something stupid or say something stupid on Mother's Day. Like I did last week. You guys don't know what happened when I left church here. Can you imagine his sense of loneliness? You can't, and if you can, I would encourage you to go find somebody who, who has a real physical disability and have a conversation with them. Ask them where they're at in life. This, this was his life day after day until this particular day in Acts chapter 3 when everything changes for him. It is on this day that this Jewish temple actually starts looking like the church is supposed to look today. And so Peter, or Luke writes in his letter, chapter 3, verse 1, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a crippled man from birth was being carried into the temple gate called Beautiful. So this would be the eastern wall overlooking the Kidron Valley. Mount of Olives is there. This would be the gate that Jesus had the triumphal entry. And they say that this is the gate he's going to, you know, return his second coming. And that's the gate he's going to go through, whatever. But where he was, he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, and, and as did, did, John, did John, and then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do, give, I, do, I do have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then he takes him by his right hand, and he helps him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he goes into the temple courts with them and walking and praising and jumping, praising God. And when all the people saw uh, him walking and praising God, they recognized that this is the same man that was begging at the temple gate, beautiful, all these years. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were just awestruck about what, was, what they were seeing. And on the surface, we, we have you know a, a, a pretty awesome miracle taking place here, but there's something bigger taking place here. This is actual fulfilled prophecy because you go all the way through the book of Isaiah, it talks about the coming Messiah and what will happen when Jesus is here and it says in 35.6, then will the lame leap like a deer. That's just cool stuff and that's what was happening. Luke uses this miracle as a platform for Peter's sermon here in the temple. That this miracle and, and the message are intertwined so they work together to give us a clearer picture of Jesus because Jesus is the power behind the miracle. And if he can heal our physical bodies, there's a good chance that there's something better coming to save his people from their sins, salvation so in Acts chapter 2, we looked at some of the movement of the Holy Spirit, if you remember, the violent rushing wind, the tongues of the fire resting on everybody's head, uh, the the, the speaking in 15 different uh, languages on that day all at one time. We saw 3,000 people being immersed, and the most powerful thing that happened through the Spirit uh, was that the people, the church, took notice of those who were in need, and they did something about it. It is at this time in the church's history that she stepped out of the the building, if you will, and started meeting the needs of those who were less fortunate. They demonstrated a heart of compassion. And as we look into what they did prayerfully, North Liberty Church of Christ churches across the land will have a better understanding as to why we should show compassion to those less fortunate and demonstrate that we are a people who have walked and who continue to walk with Jesus Christ. And so in order for the church to allow the Spirit to empower us, like the first century church, we have to pay attention to those who have needs. For, for, for that to happen, you have to venture out of your comfort zones in your own bubbles, your own homes, to see the larger picture. And it says there again in verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. And so Peter and John were out walking to church, and they took notice, and they showed compassion. And think about that for a second. In order for you to see needs, you have to be where? You have to be doing what? You have to be out in a community. You have to be out in the world. Because we usually hide so so we don't see things like that that might challenge us to do something good for people. When, when, When was the last time that you allowed yourself or you put yourself in a position to see people who were hurting, people who were in need? When was the last time you did anything like that? And to be honest, I think many of us do our best to avoid people like this. I've seen it with my own daughter in and outside the church. I've seen it for years and I still see it today. But Tim, I I don't live in a place where I have any contact with people who are in need like that. Well, why not go visit, visit a nursing home, the homeless shelter that we support up here at Hope Rescue in South Bend. Uh, maybe go on a short-term mission uh, trip this coming year because we're planning two of them. Uh, th- these places are kind of hard to visit by accident. You've got to place yourself in order to visit these people, to see them. Maybe your community group, ministry team, team group, whatever group you're part of, you can make plans to visit. A lot of people are sitting at home alone. Why not? Terry and I were on our way down to see our granddaughter's uh, soccer game in Argus last Tuesday, and uh, we were passing the road that goes to Plymouth, and I said, hey, we need to go by Bob and Doris's tonight. Well, what if they're not awake? I said, well, I'll call before we get there. So I called them on our way home, and Bob answered, hey, Bob, this is Tim, and wanted to know if you and Doris would like some visits. And, oh, Tim, you know how Bob is. They just went on and on and on. And Doris, how would you like to have a visit from Tim and and Miss Terry? And oh, you can hear her in the background. And so we stopped by there. We were there for, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, and we had a wonderful time talking about life, talking about where they came from, how they met. It was just an unbelievable experience. And so younger generation, don't forget, don't neglect those who are seniors. Because if you do, I won't be your friend. Because I'm one of those people now. <laughs> Back in the 90s, I took our youth group to a handicapped facility. I don't remember the name of it. Maybe Eric would remember. Uh, but It was just south of Notre Dame uh, University. And two-thirds of our kids were assigned a disabled child. And it was very uncomfortable at first uh, until our kids started seeing some small results of the, the, the interaction, interaction that they were having with the other kids. As small as they were, it was pretty incredible. Uh, Eric saw and... And Joel Limerick uh, teamed up with a kid, a little boy that was born without a brain stem. And uh, they, they told us that he never has responded to anything, anybody. And these two teens were throwing the ball at each other, and, and I think Eric threw it too hard, or Joel did, and hit him in the face, and they hit the ground and they were just laughing and rolling all over the place. And that kid that was born without a brain stem responded. And the nurse was stunned. She was shocked that that boy that she's been working with all those years, his eyes got real big and you could see a little grin on his face. But he was supposed to be worthless, non-human, because they didn't have a brain stem. But that one moment that these teenagers got out of their comfort zones and we went to this facility may have changed that little boy's life just for one second. Peter and John head up to the temple, which was kind of like church, but in Jesus' days, it wasn't quite like our church, okay? Because most of them uh, would not know who Jesus actually was like we do. Hence, the reason why Peter and, and, and John went to the temple to talk about Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus, the Messiah. Most of them there were the same people who called Jesus uh, to be crucified. And the religious leaders at at that temple would not have wanted Peter and John there. But they went anyway to a place where the love of Jesus needed to be heard and seen. And if the church today is going to have their own story of compassion, we're going to have to get outside these walls, outside our homes, outside our comfort zones. Where, Where is God calling you to take a walk these days, church? Across the street to your neighbor, a family member, a friend, your boss, a, care, a woman's care center, some place where you can show the heart of Jesus through compassion. And I, and I think that the biggest reason we don't get too excited about showing compassion is probably we can't relate. You don't have any empathy because it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Who wants to sit around and stare at somebody that's not responding back? Nobody wants to do that. And besides that, we've got our own problems to deal with, Right? Uh, psychologist Dr. Martin Seligman wrote, um, talked about having authentic happiness, and he wrote this. Most all of us think that we would be happy if we could have more of something. More money, more chocolate, more success, more achievements, more sex, more something. And he noticed in his study that the distance between the more and enough were never going to get together, Ever. And he gave his psychology students an assignment. He said, I want you all to go out and do one act that you know will make you happy, one pleasurable thing. And then I want you to go out and do one act of compassion, one purely altruistic piece of behavior. Then write down your reflection to both of these things." And he says it was life-changing. And I quote again, the afterglow of the pleasurable activity helped by hanging out with friends, watching a movie, eating hot fudge Sunday, whatever it was, paled in comparison with the effects of the one act of compassion. When people are involved in acts of compassion, they become less self-absorbed and less depressed. They become more tuned into others, more capable of empathy. They have a greater sense of community and a decreased sense of loneliness. Isn't that interesting? When we, when we pursue and make our primary focus something that will make us happy, we become lonely and depressed, angry, agitated, and complain all the time. But when we put our focus in, in bringing joy to someone else, to other people, we end up getting what we selfishly wanted in the first place, joy, happiness. Church, what can you do to have a, cha- a life-changing experience help create in you a heart of compassion you're the only one who can answer that i mean we want to be uh, uh, kind of look like the first century church where they showed compassion and paul if you remember attributed jesus saying this in acts chapter 20 it is better to give than to what receive Receive. it's better to give than to receive that's what jesus said listen listen to the entry of a journal by a teenage 17 year old girl by the name of Brittany. Uh, whose desire, her her only desire was to be a full-time missionary. And her first check that she ever got with her job was, she wrote it to Compassion International. I know many of you support that. Uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. But she wrote in her journal the night before she died this. God, you hold the only peace that can fill the deepest hole. Every week you bless me so much and teach me lesson after lesson. I know that once again you're showing me your love. I can't fathom how much you feel when one of your children suffers, but I have had a glimpse of your heartache. Please fill me with your wisdom that I won't just watch others suffer, but that I'll be able to say what they need to hear. As a new week approaches, my dangerous prayer is that you'll place broken-hearted people in my path and fill me with you so that I can let your love heal their pain. Would any of you dare pray such a dangerous prayer like that? God, place brokenhearted people in my path and fill me with you so that I can let your love heal them. And, And if we dare do something bold like that, I'd say that we would have some pretty incredible stories to share of the spirit of God's power within the body of Christ here. And so so as we get out of our our, our comfort zones and our places that we feel safe in, but not challenged in, we start seeing things that we've never seen before. And as a Christian with a conscience, you start to feel something for the situation at hand. Your heart starts to ache in certain ways for those who are struggling. You start to see the individual, and you want to do something about it. It says in verse 4, Peter looked straight at him, as did John they made eye contact and with this man and they made it made all the difference for everybody involved here this is probably the first time somebody actually made eye contact with him he didn't know what that felt like he was used to people walking by and looking away and seeing him you know at the entry of the temple and they're thinking oh they're going to go out a different gate because we don't want this guy to see us we don't want to make that you know that eye contact but but what do you do when you see someone at a store that you go to you know those uh, salvation armor army ringers a homeless person at some corner, you try to get as far away as you can from him and you won't look at him when he's over there holding a the sign in your face? You know, I'll do anything for work, that kind of thing. Or, or you know of somebody within the, your own body of Christ who's having a hard time paying their bills and you're stressing about another all-exclusive vacation package for that year. And that's what this crippled man was used to. He was used to people whispering as they walked by him won't feel so bad. Peter and John saw him, and they stopped. They made eye contact with him. They had a conversation with him. They piqued his curiosity because he was used to people looking down on him since they saw him as a flawed person. In John chapter 9, Jesus is asked by his disciples of a guy born blind, who sinned, him or his parents? And and Jesus told them in no uncertain terms, absolutely not. This didn't happen because of that. Because in that culture, people assume that because he was crippled, he must have done something to deserve it. And church, you are aware that same horrible thinking is as strong within our culture and including the church today. It's still alive and well. You know as well as I do that it's difficult to show compassion to someone you think deserves what they're getting. Right? If someone throws smoke bombs in a bar and scaring all the patrons out, and then the dad finds out about it and the kid gets whipped, well, he whipped. He gets he's deserving what he gets, right? Or if someone breaks into a house and a guard dog rips into them, they got what they deserved. If someone goes to the casino and bet a year's salary on that sure bet and they lose everything, they got what they deserve, right? Maybe it's hard for you to feel compassion for an addict when the family members have already given up on him. Uh, maybe it's hard for you, you know, to feel compassion uh, for uh, the individual, the, the young lady who, um, who, who got pregnant before she was married and now it's a hard time providing for herself and her baby. Maybe you feel compassion uh, or don't feel compassion for the person who smoked like a chimney their whole life and is now dealing with lung cancer. Maybe you have no compassion for the person who gossips every time their mouth moves and so is so toxic that nobody wants to be their friend anymore. And you, hear, you know, hear them pound about how bad it hurts, and you wouldn't say it out loud, but you're thinking to yourself what you really want to be able to say is, well, they're getting what they deserve. They're sowing what they reap. And some of you have a really hard time being compassionate to people we perceive to be irresponsible. we only want to be compassionate people we think deserve it but aren't you glad aren't you happy aren't you joyful that God's compassion doesn't look like that on us you see God shows compassion when we don't deserve it because he knows each one of us and he knows us by name and that's what makes it hard not to 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 show be compassionate When you get to know someone's name, when you get to know their story, their struggle, their their survival, whatever it might be, it becomes personal, right? And, And that's the fatal mistake we make. That's why God continues to show mercy and grace and compassion and love towards each of us. Because he knows every one of us. He knows us by name. And while we were still sinners, he died for us. And for any who try to avoid showing compassion to others, it's because we see nothing more than a problem. We see a, heart, a headache that's going to take away from our time and our money and our energy and how dare they mess with our lives with the problems that we have to face each day you know, of our own, right? I go back to the psychologist here. He said, when people are involved in acts of compassion, they become less, less self-absorbed and less depressed. You want to get out of that state of mind, and start serving other people who need help. Peter and John are in constant battle with the religious leaders of their day in the Jewish community. They're, they're being persecuted all the time, but they look beyond their own struggles and they see this man. And if you read the Gospels, Jesus communicates very clearly to his own disciples and anybody who would say, if I only knew it was you, Lord... That kind of excuse, if only I knew it was you, God. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus shares a story starting in verse 31. And when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one uh, from uh, from one another as a shepherd uh, separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right. Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance for the kingdom prepared for you since the day of creation. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous, the the sheep over here said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or need clothes and give you clothing? When did we see you sick and in prison and go visit you? And the king, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, Truly, I tell you this whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I was in need of clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And they also said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and eating clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And the king once again replied, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of one of these, you did not do for me. I think Jesus covered all the bases. But Jesus, if, knew, if I've only known it, it was you. If we saw people as Jesus saw them, we'd notice. If we could see the individual, look beyond whatever issue we think they have. The homeless person, the single parent, the cousin Eddie's, the toxic friend, the kid who's always sitting by himself at lunchtime, the nursing home residence, you know, the, 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 the widowed neighbor so maybe our prayers that we put in these golden bowls should be the names of the people that we get to know who are in need Jesus you know it's him that we're ministering to we think it's an individual but it's actually Jesus we are his hands and feet as they say if we really believe that they are Christ I bet that would, get us our, give, that would get our attention, right? we do something. If we actually believed it was Jesus. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And so with everything that I've said uh, today, there is really one option. We've got to move on what we know is the right thing to do to display the heart of our Christ. We cannot sit around and be idle and have a lack of uh, empathy. We have to take action. And if all you do is talk about having a heart of compassion and we don't do something, to helping those in need, then we're nothing more than a, a mouth moving. Peter and John showed their compassion. And I believe compassion in this particular setting could be defined as a verb here. It says, I don't have any money, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I will give you. His compassion is, being, is moved into action here. The, these, these men understood it wasn't enough just to look at this man and feel sorry for him. He, they needed to do something about it. That's compassion. Taking notice and doing something. This story is, isn't just about having feelings or some opinion about some matter. It's about doing. And just because you feel compassion doesn't mean you have a, you're a compassionate person. Just because you cry when you see th- sad things happening in, in other countries or see a, the poor condition of our inner cities or hungry children walking our own streets in America, it doesn't mean much of anything unless you're willing to do something. The, they say the measure of compassion is not how you feel. It's what you do. And when, when the power of the Holy Spirit connects with your soul, he doesn't just move your heart. He moves, or moves you to tears. He, he moves your muscles. He moves your money. He moves your time. And he moves your prayers into the presence of God. In those golden bowls that hold the prayers of his saints. The measure, again, of compassion is not how you feel, it's what you do. Isn't that why James, the brother of Jesus, said in his letter, uh, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says, hey, go in peace, be warm, be filled, God bless you, I'll pray for you, but you don't do anything for their physical needs, he says, what good is that? He says it's useless, it's dead. Or John writes in one of his letters, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. And so here in Acts, thousands of people are moved to do what is right for the whole group that is starting to follow and understand who Jesus is. They're drawn to Christ because they saw, and they actually saw, love in action. They put their faith in motion. And so what kind of impact could the church in America have if we stayed true to God's God's whole counsel, not just the parts that we like, but all of it, and show compassion as Jesus and the disciples did in the first century? But look at what, in verse 6, what Peter says to the crippled man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And so church, if we want God's blessing or or whatever we do, if we want the power of the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, we have to be doing something, uh, doing whatever acts of compassion for the glory and honor of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's it. It all has to be about Christ, not NLCC, not for for you to glean information or get ideas so you can write a book or gain more business. Jesus has got to be the hero at the end of the day, at the end of anything that we do within the body of Christ. His name has to be intertwined in our stories of compassion and love, or it means nothing because the world can do those kinds of things. But they can't do it in the name of Jesus. We can Peter and John go to the temple. They're not welcome there. The religious leaders and the others didn't want them. Uh, the name of Jesus to be spoken. But these two men, they acted and did so in the name of Jesus Christ. In Peter's second sermon here in the temple, he says in verse 4:10, uh, "It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth." And then in verse 12, a couple of verses later, it says, "Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, meaning Jesus, given to men by which men must be saved." And so here's this guy. He's never walked. He's for decades, he's been a prisoner in his own body, and now he's completely free. He doesn't get up, you know, and and drag himself, you know, and and lean up against the wall because he can hardly walk. It says in verse 7 Peter grabbed his hand, helping him up, and when he jumped to his feet, he began to walk. And then he goes into the temple court where he was never allowed to go before, and he's walking and jumping and praising God. And as they enter the temple, they started sharing Jesus. And it's very clear that the religious leaders didn't want them there because uh, to acknowledge Christ because it says in 4.3 that the temple guards at the order of the leaders grabbed Peter and John and put them in jail. And verse 17, 4.17 tells us why. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Whose name? The name of Jesus Christ. And church... Don't tell me that that's not what's happening in this country today because we cannot talk about Jesus out there in public anymore. We can talk about everything else under the sun, but not Jesus. And it's the same thing that was happening back then. And it's high time that the church starts talking and doing things in the name of Jesus Christ and being proud of it. Again, what did Peter and John do? They advanced the gospel and in your face act towards the religious leaders who wanted all things Jesus buried and the people were seeing in real time a man who had been crippled from birth dancing around and praising God and Peter then explains in verse in in, back in chapter 3 how it all happened it happened through the power of Jesus Christ the same God that brought healing and life back into the legs of this man is the same God who can bring uh, life back into your own souls After Peter's powerful message, it says in 4.4, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. It says men. It doesn't talk about women and children here. And if we will get out of the Holy Spirit's way and out of the four walls, whether it be this place or our homes, and see the individual and act with compassion and do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you lives will be transformed. But it's got to start with you. You've got to take the message of Jesus, the same man that changed your life, and take it out there into the world so they understand that there's something hopeful, something to live for, and not to be fearful. That's the kind of church God wants. That's the kind of body bride that he wants. Because you know, when you, you remember when you guys, everybody in here was married, when you first got married, how excited you were? You're bragging about it, talking about it. If, if, if people my age would have had Facebook back then, they would have been all over the place. And that's the same attitude, reaction you ought to have today about Jesus. We are his bride. He's our groom. And we need to be bragging about him. Not saying, oh, can you believe that woman I'm going to marry? Man, that guy, I don't know what I was thinking. He's already an idiot. We're not even married yet. Bride and grooms don't do that. And a church shouldn't be doing it either. We're going to get ready to stand and worship our God. We're going to do it in the name of Jesus and I'm going to encourage you to go out there and show compassion to somebody in the name of Christ. Let them know that you actually walk with Christ. Let's stand, get ready to sing, and I'm going to, I'm going to have a word of prayer before Chris leads us in song. Father God, we praise you, we thank you Father for your love and mercy, we thank you Father for the opportunity to be able to show compassion to people, you've shown compassion to us and I ask Father that we would do the same to those around us, there's a lot of people out there. A hurting, and, and the church doesn't need to add to that. We need to be supporting individuals and loving on them and, and just giving them, you know, a helping hand, whatever that might look like. Help us, Father, to quit being timid and fearful, judgmental. Help us to love people like you loved us. Father, we we open service today with with Ashley and and Peyton and and them coming to to Jesus uh, through baptism. And Father, we praise you for that opportunity. We we praise you, Father, for being part of that. Uh, Sometime today, uh, Steve Beam is going to be baptizing uh, Carol Bowen uh, in... in, uh, somewhere east of Indiana here I forget it was Fort Wayne or Warsaw you know where it's at, father and man what an unbelievable thing to see see that happening and she's an, an individual father that's up in years and and she just has this desire to do this. And I thank you, Father, for the two young ladies this morning. I, Father, we've been praying. We put a bunch of names, 180-some names, in these bowls last week. And I pray that the people who put those names in there are serious about praying for these individuals on a daily basis so that your spirit will move and change their lives so that they can come and, and have a relationship with your son, Jesus. And, Father, I know that there are others. I ever all Throughout this whole series, people can drop names in here, and we're going to pray for them. We're dedicated to do that, Father, and we pray, Father that you will be honored that the the name of jesus will be lifted high and that people will actually see that the people who worship at north liberty church of christ actually and truly walk with you on a daily basis we thank you father we love you we hope that you will be honored by our worship this morning in jesus name we pray Amen.
0: if you found value in this message then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.